Welcome to the Two Northern Lasses' latest podcast. In this episode, the Lasses are in conversation with Peter Sargent, a consultant around investment for local businesses. Enjoy. Right. Hi, Jane. Hi, Michelle. How have you been up to? Um, well, I've had actually a really busy few weeks, month and a half. Um, I've been doing a lot of work for a client um, that was all deadlines hitting at once. So we've been arranging an exhibition. So I had exhibition happening. The brochures we needed for the exhibition happening. The website needed updating for the exhibition. So last week in particular were really manic. Um, but in addition to that, I've been... Um, setting up another business Ooh. yeah um i've been well are you allowed to tell us well yeah because i need people to know about it <laughs> um so basically you know i've been working on my own for a year yeah freelance so a lot of my work is in my office stroke spare bedroom at home and what i figured out is that when you you know when you're employed and you have a day when you're working from home and it's a bit of a bonus day. You know, you get more work than you would in office, plus you get your washing done and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, when you do it five days a week, every week for a year, it's not all that anymore. Um, so we're thinking about getting um, an off some office space. Um, and then I thought, well, I don't want to just rent an office and be in an office on my own because that's kind of worse than being at home on my own. So then I thought I'll look into co-working. Um, but co-working is a uh, it's available but it tends to be in town or in a city and i to be honest can't really be asked tromming into town adding an hour and a half onto my day every day paying for parking um so i had a look at what was available locally and there isn't there's a lot of offices to rent locally but nothing from a co-working point of view so that's what i'm doing I'm setting it up brilliant there's a gap so Great. i'm gonna fill it and uh for the for our listeners that don't know jane's logo is yellow yes and uh so we've been texting each other pictures of yellow furniture haven't we yeah so it's gonna be a bright environment it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be like a it's not gonna be kind of corporate it's gonna be hopefully the kind of place you walk in and you go yeah i can see myself working in here i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna sign up so it's called the flex collective so we're on Instagram and Facebook so far. It's not open yet, like you say. I've not even ordered. I've ordered some furniture, not all of it. Um, but I'm hoping to be open um, April time. Good. Well, when I went in the other day, there was one yellow chair <laughs> in the room. One chair. And I said to Jane, "Why don't you sit in it? I'll take a picture of you in the yellow chair for your social media." And she's like, "No, I've got my I've, gym gear I've on. I've come straight from gym. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing it." So yeah. What about you? Good. What you've been up to? Well, it was my birthday yesterday. Oh, yes, it was my uh, birthday. Yeah. And um, I spent the whole day at Leeds at um, an event called Pitch Fest. So I've been selected to be part of a programme and I'm trying to get investment for my business. And um, at the moment, it's just training and guidance from experts. And Your I'm business being the app, yeah? Yeah, the app business. And I've met some just really, really intelligent, clever people that have invented things. And it's just been a really nice experience, but not how I thought I'd be spending my birthday. And they gave me a treat when I got there. So they'd got a running order for 
everybody was pitching and my pitch was 10 to 2 in the afternoon I was thinking great that gives me the break in the morning to practice and lunchtime to practice and they said right at the beginning of the day right because it's Michelle's birthday she's gonna present first <laughs> I was like oh, oh god I always no. think it's better to present first actually it was get it over with. and I couldn't I didn't actually give myself time to get nervous because I was sort of put on the spot and I stood up anyway I, I think I did all right and well we'll see if I get through the next stage yeah but um yeah so that's quite a nice segue into who our guest is today We've got Peter Sargent with us today and I first met Peter, well I was introduced to Peter by a mutual friend of ours who has also been a guest on the podcast, Vicky Walker. All oh, right. And um, and we met and we had lots of discussions about investment and the business and, and we hit it off and I just thought that Peter would be a great guest for the podcast so here he is welcome welcome peter thank you so i'm gonna i'm trying to do everybody justice when i introduce them so i'm going to describe you and you can tell me if you think this is correct (laughs) so um peter is a consultant around investment for local businesses i'll take that one yeah (laughs) he is trained as an insolvency practitioner so that ironic that you are the second insolvency practitioner that we've had on the podcast however yeah. you are the only one that practiced yeah, insolvency that's my darker side my yeah darker. <laughs> i think he used to, i think andrew said that when he went to parties he just taught people who were in accounting <laughs> it's like the conversation killer oh, um you also volunteer at the mission in huddersfield which is an organisation which I've got a lot of admiration for. It's not the mission, it's the Welcome Centre. It's the Welcome Centre. Not to be confused with the mission. And the Welcome Centre is the food bank. Right. People get us mixed up. Okay. Like Michelle just did. Yeah, 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 like Michelle. We are a bit precious about it. I've been put right on that then. So it's (coughs) the Welcome Centre. So I also have a lot of admiration for the Welcome Centre as well. So, um, And you are fanatical about you. That's right, yeah, I'll admit to that. Yeah, so um, we, our intention around the podcast is to chat about people's stories, talk about career choices, life choices that are made because of career. We want to offer some kind of inspiration to some of our listeners. So um, we really want to go right back to the school story, don't we? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, tell us about... Where, where you went to school, when, what you were like, what you thought you wanted we, to do. We've got some listeners that are outside of the West Yorkshire region. <laughs> so you have to put the subtitles in. So just, uh, when we say Huddersfield, we need to sort of put it into Yorkshire, England, yeah, UK, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Right. Anyway. Okay. Well, you can tell from the accent, I'm local. You sound just like we do. I know. It's been, yeah, I know <laughs> Except it's I'm not local. Jane's from Lancashire. Oh, but to people outside of... You do sound The north of England will all sound the same, won't we? Very similar, yeah. Whether you have a cup of tea or a brew. I have a brew. Oh, no. We have a tea. Well, I'm I'm from Dalton, born and bred, really. And I went to Dalton Infants and then the junior school. And then I was lucky enough to pass me 11 plus. I'm that old. (laughs) uh, You should have said I'm that brainy. Not that old. I was one of the lucky ones who passed... Oh, not so. Past me eleven plus, and I was shipped off to Huddersfield New College 
in brackets when it was a grammar school which is approximately about nine miles away yeah well i was <laughs> my mum insisted that i went to Huddersfield new college rather than go to king james's because if i went to Huddersfield new college i got a free bus pass but if i went to king james's she'd have had to pay me bus first i love that, that that's a good enough reason <laughs> to make that kind of decision isn't it so we and we moved house you know she was good enough to we moved at my dad we moved house from Windsor Drive in Dalton, at the bottom end of Dalton, to Brooklyn Avenue, at the top end of Dalton, by Wakefield Road. Yeah. So it wasn't too far to catch the 73 bus. <laughs> and we all got on the bus together, all in our little uniforms, and tr went all the way up to Salandine Nook on the same bus, which was great. So we didn't have the crush in the morning of fighting at the bus stop in mm. Huddersfield to catch the bus, yeah. like the rest of the, our, our schoolmates did. And then coming back, we actually are joined in the crush to get on the bus back and then back get on the 73 when we got down into Huddersfield, you know. But like, I was wanted to the other day, said something about Dalton. And I sort of went, you know, I, I went rigid. I went, what are you on about? What's wrong with Dalton? And they said, oh, I said, I come from Dalton. Oh, oh, oh. They, they just backed away as if they didn't think it was a, a good place to come from. I was, well, as far as I'm concerned, it was a good place. Yeah, to and I'm from Kirkheaton, and I get that because yeah. that's the next song. Well, I'm from Lancashire. Yeah, well, yeah. That, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I went to New College, and I wasn't the brainiest one in there. And you, you know, like when you're at junior school and you sort of pass your eleven plus, and there was about half a dozen of us who passed. You all think you're the the bee's knees. You're quickly brought down to a level because then you're mixing with all the other top people from the all the other mm, yeah. schools so you're just one of like 30 kids in a class you're you know? a little fish in a big pond yeah, all of a sudden you, know, you suddenly start back at the bottom again you know and think mm, it's not easy and you know and so so i wasn't the cleverest kid in the in the class but i sort of kept going and tried to just go and do as was told and everything and i got my o levels i got my a levels well, the O-levels were the hard... I just scraped my O-levels, you know, only just. And I'm a boy, and boys don't work hard, you know. Tell me about it. They just do what they have to do. <laughs> you know, girls are just swatty. I've got two girls. One's a, one was a super swat and the other one wasn't, but that's another story. But I hope they're not listening. Uh, <laughs> it will be. Listen, that. we talk about our kids on oh, this well, podcast all the time. They don't listen to it, Peter, don't oh, worry. Right. <laughs> they don't but care. Like, but, like, when I did my O-levels, I saw just enough you know just to get and you know these kids they, they spend a lot of time swatting now don't they mm. i did bugger all swatting and i got i got my exams and i sort of got on to do the a levels and that's when i think i started really enjoying it because i was doing stuff i really like to do what subjects did you do when i was ill geography history economics and we had to do general studies yeah and i'd never done economics and i really enjoyed it and the teacher it was Mr. Bauer, better known as Piggy Bauer. It was he was fantastic? He was an absolutely fantastic teacher, and it just made you learn it, and you made you do it, and you did, and you loved him for it, you know. And then we had the geography teacher, uh, Mr. Adde, who was long gone, bless him, and he used to say, "Sergeant, get yourself organised," because my desk would be just an absolute mess of stuff, and I still remember him say I can when I've got you know you sat at your desk and things are messy either on the computer or sat at your desk and I can hear this voice sergeant get yourself organized and you know and I take a step back and I do you know still yeah can you and I think this be haunting like, you <laughs> yeah it sort of probably is in a nice way yeah he's on my shoulder and then 
I went to Newcastle University to study geography and again you know I did all right mm. um, and I got through it and um, and I think the first year was the hardest because it was literally the first time I'd been away from home and in those days you know it was only about 10% of people went to university yeah. and yeah. I was the first in my family to go to university like my mum she'd when I when I started school she fill, was filling petrol at um, there was a petrol station at Waterloo I know exactly which one you mean yeah. and she was filling petrol there and my dad all his working life worked on the shop floor at Brook Motors their life had completely been sort of altered by the war because they've you know, been involved in the war. My mum was in the Land Army, and my dad was in a reserve occupation at Brook Motors. Um, she came back. My mum came back to work at Brook Motors later on in the war, and that's how they met. And they got married, uh, and then they got married effectively late, and then they had me even later. Mm. Um, like my dad retired when I finished university, so you can see how, yeah. how old I was. Mm. Um, so they. Yeah, I was the first in the family to go to university. So it was a they had no experience of it. So it was a bit difficult first year. But after that, second and third year was it's fine. It was great fun. Mm. You know, the great time in Newcastle. And then I was sort of going to be a teacher, and you, you sort of drift a bit, you know. And you could afford to do that because you hadn't had to fund your way through university. I know, mm-hmm. wasn't it great? It was brilliant. <laughs> and I really feel for the kids these I days. I do. You know, it's horrible. They shouldn't have to pay for it. It's all bloody wrong, you know. Um, and so I sort of drifted into the teach training and I hated it. I thought, I don't want to be at school anymore. I want to go out. So I went to work, uh, I left, much to my parents' disgust, um, because they said, it'd be a safe job, you know, you should do that. And I went to work um, in a pottery in Stoke-on-Trent, which was, you know, it was, it was different. And, um, but I lived in an absolute awful sort of bed set. And yeah, it was that cold that winter in 1979, early 1980. I used to leave the oven door open and the oven on to keep warm, you know, oh, wow. sort of thing. <laughs> it was, you know, it was horrible. Oh. And, you've, it, and you've got, I think, to some extent, you've got to go through these difficult times to appreciate it. But mm. what happened to that? It went bust, didn't it? So much to my parents' disgust a second time. <laughs> I ended up back at home in Huddersfield. Um, I bet they loved it, really. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Uh, but then I sort of thought, I'm going to have to do and This is early 1980s, and things weren't good. You know, there's a lot of businesses. Yeah. Um, lot of businesses failing and redundancies and unemployment was over a million by then it had never been like that in mm. the past and uh, I got a training position at Revel Ward in Huddersfield to train as an accountant and I've got to say you know my view of accountancy was like from Monty Python and I really did I've got to say I didn't want to be an accountant but <laughs> this is the second time do, this has come I've got to do a job you know and, <laughs> and you know I've got a steady girlfriend and we got engaged and you know and all this sort of thing um, and so I slowly worked my way into accepting this is what I've got to do and if you look at accountancy just from a purely numbers game it's well, for me, it was awful. But what you've got to do is try to turn it into a people thing and what those numbers actually re- represent. Yeah. And, and that's what made it interesting. And, you know, I liked dealing with the people. But most of the people in the office hated dealing with the people. Mm. 
So they, you know, if they, they didn't even like having making a phone call. You've got to remember in those days, all you had on your desk was a pen, a pad, and a telephone. We weren't even allowed to use calculators. What did you use? Your head. Oh. Yeah, said do everything in your head. It was a yeah, and you you got good new numbers. Because you could look at numbers. Like as the kids got older, they'd be adding numbers up and they'd be using a calculator. And I'd just go, that's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Because I can tell. Mm. You don't even have to add it up. I just know you've got that wrong. Do it again. Um, and, you, you know, you could do that. But, yeah, so it was it was difficult to sort of focus on that. And then you got some of the people who worked in the office were, were really good. Others were dreadful, you know. Um and, but the bosses I worked with, like, there was a guy called Eric Kenworthy and Brian Ward, little Eric and big Brian, they were known as. <laughs> Not to the faces, but, you know, you'd never say that. It was Mr. Kenworthy, Mr. Ward. Was so. Brian Ward the Yes, Ward. yeah, 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 Revel Ward. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, from Revel Ward. And, um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he was all very formal, but, you know. And uh, I liked, there were, this case came in, it was called, Nulls K and Co successors. It was just at the bottom of Chapel Hill. It was a mill, and there was loads of employees. And Brian and I think Eric had been appointed admin, uh, well, receiver of it. And that's what he had at the time. And the, someone had to deal with all the employees. And you know, accountants and judicants didn't like relationships and all that. But I thought this was going to be fun. You know, so I, I said, oh, I'll do all the employee claims. So I built a relationship with all the employees and the people who were doing the redundancy. Uh, in in Leeds, and we got on really well together. And I could see these. I meet these ex employees in in town. I bump into them in Sainsbury's, and they say, "Oh, Peter, how's my redundancy claim going?" And I knew the names. I say, "Oh, it's coming through next week. Just pop into the office, and we'll have a chat, and we'll sort it all out." And so I developed a relationship for it. For so what got... could be a really traumatic time for exactly, a lot of people. Exactly. So we we got on really well together. And so any other insolvency bits and pieces which came into the office, they sort of were, were gravitating towards me because I, I'd deal with them. I was happy to pick up the phone and go sort things out. And I said to little Eric, I said, yeah, we can do well at this, you know, so let me concentrate on sort of building all this up. And okay, I've been doing my accountancy exams, but sort of, I've got to say life got in the way of it all. Um, you know, I got married quite young. We had um, we had Faye, and then Louise came along as well. My mum and my father were both poorly on and off, and you know, so I was spending. And I'm an only child, so a guy got to deal with everything. Mm. So you know, um, if either my mum or my dad would be in hospital for a bit, and so I was having to go up to the hospital, see how one was, report back to the one to see how that one was, and then going up. Some nights I wasn't getting home till half seven, eight o'clock at night, you know. And it was it was it was knackering, it was taking mm. its toll on me. So something had to go and in the end it was finishing off my accounts exams. So I said to little Eric, you know, I'm gonna have to stop it for my own sanity. So but I think I can really do well at this insolvency. Says, oh, off you go then. So, well, you know, the rest is history because, like, by 1988, um, I was a partner in the practice, um, and we were doing really well. We were sort of, I wouldn't say we were flying, but we were, we were going very much in the right direction. Mm. And it was great, if I can say the word fun and insolvency in the same sense. I'm not so sure, <laughs> but it was, it was quite, you know, it was exciting. Was it, it enjoyable? Was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, that's what work should. Well, it's not, you know, I've never really. Since then, I've never really worked because I've always enjoyed what I was doing. Mm. And I think, I think, you know, 
we had we had some real adventures and we went in some incredibly weird places to, to deal with and dealing with strange people and difficult situations and you sort of learn how to deal with people because we did at that time we did a lot besides doing corporate insolvency we did a lot of personal insolvency so we were dealing with people who went bankrupt mm -hmm. um, and all that which was was difficult we always some very difficult people to deal with we had one guy who burst into the office uh, reception they knew where my office was and came charging down and he's going ranting on at me and he said and what about the taxpayers charter and I went mr. so-and-so it's a taxpayers charter you ain't paid your taxes I thought we were gonna hit man <laughs> thankfully he didn't uh. you know so we had that you know um, and the other one which some listeners might remember if they're local is the Amsterdam bar Oh, I remember the Amsterdam. Well, it was the Amsterdam. I was. I don't know if you can say this, but it was a gay bar. Yeah. Or uh, it gave the impression of a gay bar. It's. Is was it um, down where the university? Yeah, yeah, down there. Yeah, 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 on the corner. Chapel Hill. No, no, no the other side. Oh no, the other street. Yeah. Down there, there. And we were appointed trustee in bankruptcy. And little Eric threw the keys at me and sent me down. Said, "Oh, go and open up for." Um, Philip Caddy from C.D. Harrison's to come and have a look around, make sure it's all right and everything. So I went down, opened the doors, and in those days you'd go into a pub and eat stank mm. of stale beer and fags and all mm. this sort of awful smell and carpets that were sticky as hell. And I wandered in, and it should, you know, it should have been all sad. I thought, hang on a minute. One, it's warm. Two, I can hear water running. I'm thinking, oh, God, it's the best part. Uh, so I thought I'll have a one. So I went down into the basement. There's nothing wrong there. So I went back upstairs and had a wander out. Went up to the living accommodation upstairs. Went into the sort of, sort of lounge area and there's a sleeping bag there. And uh, gas fire's on full. So I turned gas fire off and wrapped sleeping bag and just threw it on the settee. And, then, and it was L shaped. So I walked down this corridor, then turned down and I could hear this water running. And got to the bathroom. And I put my foot, I put my back against the wall, and my foot on the door, and just went bang. I pushed the door straight open, and this bloke there, stark naked, and this scream came out from him. I went, "What the beep beep beep? Are you doing in here? You know, get yourself dressed and get out. You know, well, you know, in those days, I'd just go down and do it myself." But now you'd never go in somewhere like that on your own because you could have just come got an yeah you'd need backup done wouldn't you you done me over you know I thought when you were telling that story that there was going to be something else that you were going <laughs> to no it wasn't gonna, like, no 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 we don't like, got that this far. is going to be like a dead body scenario no no, no we've not oh no we have not we've never had actually touchwood discovered any dead bodies but yeah. um, there is a sadder side to it all we have. In the past, we have had cases which have, have come from have been they've been suicides associated with them, um, and which is is you know it's awful when people get to that stage that they actually take their own life when mm. there is help out there to help to get them through it. You know, bankruptcy, IVAs, and all the different personal insolvency solutions are there to help provide a line in somebody's financial life over which they can step. And effectively leave behind the problems okay there's a solution there but it helps them sort themselves out the the you know the, people need to take help and not be afraid to talk to somebody about mm. it and you know it's usually blokes who sadly take that ultimate step and i found over what 
best part of 40 years and I'm not saying it just because you two are sat here but women are much better at seeking help and advice mm. when they've got a problem some financial problem um, it's like old scenario when the guy's driving the car and he's got lost he won't stop and ask for directions he keeps driving around till he's found out which way to go you know, it doesn't matter so much now because everybody's got sat now <laughs> but in the olden days you know bloke would have never stopped and asked somebody at the side of the road where so and so yeah um so yeah so it built up and then um i was i had been to becoming a partner in 1988 when i was 30 um and we sort of grew and grew and we ended up with three separate offices in Huddersfield, leeds and halifax the halifax one we shut down because it was difficult to control and wasn't that much work for it um so we had two offices in leeds and halifax and then i i sort of had a bit of a change of heart and started my own practice in in 1995 I opened my own practice in Halifax which was very imaginatively called Sergeant and Company <laughs> and there was just myself and I think what you'd call a secretary Rachel um joined me and she'd come from from a solicitor's called Hamlet Sudard and I remember her saying sis Peter you've never seen my work I said look Rachel, if you've survived at Hammond Sudars for the last five years, you must be bloody good. Because <laughs> if you hadn't, they would have sacked you. Because, you know, they were big, firm in Leeds. You know, really pushed people. But she was really well trained. She was brilliant. And that could just go, you know, I felt sort of safe letting her get on with stuff. And uh, so we opened office in Halifax. And we sort of slowly grew, you know, started back from scratch and slowly grew it up. Um, and I remember the first day. I sent out some sort of letters saying, or, you know, when you used to send out letters, sent out some letters saying, I don't have a new office. And a, a guy, uh, a firm of accountants um, in Leeds, um, it's called Newsom, he was, he was a lovely guy. He rang me up and he said, you probably sat there looking out the window, hoping the phone's going to ring. He says, good luck to you. We did exactly the same thing a couple of years ago, and it's gone great. You'll do well, and we'll support you. Which was the nicest thing I yeah. could say on day one when I'm thinking, what have I done? You know, I've got a wife, two girls, a golden retriever, and a mortgage to fund. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, crikey, what have I done? Yeah, I and know how that feels. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? And you think, oh, and it's, it's you know, it did, look, you know, luckily it did work. And I ran the practice the best part of ten and a half years um, and then I sold it to um, another firm Begbie's trainer and I worked for them for just over well just about ten years and they then didn't want to have an office in Halifax anymore and I didn't want to go work in Leeds so um, yeah I just work as a consultant now for a firm called Quantuma which has a, an office in Bradford but mainly um, a sort of southern, more southern practice. But you don't do that full-time, do you? Oh, no, I work part-time now. So I work part-time for Contuma and I work part-time for Charlesworth, which is the business investment side of things. And so how long was it since you sold your business? It, well, I sold it, sorry, I sold it back in 2005. All so right. And then, so. then I did 10 years for Begbies. So I did, you know, so I worked with, Revel Watt till 1995 and then 1995 to 2005 around my own practice then 2005 to 2015 mm -hmm. I worked for Begbies and the, the good thing about being part of a bigger practice was it took away a lot of the admin crap which was great and also created um, a great technical support system 
and it allowed me to sort of do a few other things because by then I was involved with my trade association which is called R3 um, and by 2009 I was the national president of it so I was trundling up and down to London on a regular basis and so often that I was on first name terms with the tea ladies at Workfield Station <laughs> <laughs> there was one incident we got got invited Joe my wife and I we got invited to a uh, garden party at Buckingham Palace oh lovely which, you know, was, you know, I thought, oh yeah that sounds really interesting that so you've got to have you know Joe's got to have the the hat so I, I walked it's expensive too isn't it oh, god it is yeah <laughs> we walked into well we walked into Wakefield Railway Station I walked into Railway Station to get and the and the ladies behind the counter went, oh, and I see da, da, da. and in walked the hat, and in walked Joe, basically. <laughs> and um, he said, "Oh, you're not in your suit, you know, because in those days we used to wear a suit all the time." Mm. You know, so I said, "Oh, we we going down to Buckingham Palace to a gun," <gasps> and they saw this box Joe was carrying. Is that the hat? And she, Joe went, "Yeah, it's the hat." Yeah. So everybody in the queue just had to wait <laughs> while. All the ladies behind the gate came round. Joe had to take the lid off the hat box so they could see the hat, which is a big red thing, you know, which had come from somewhere in Weatherby. It had to have its own seat on the train because it was so bloody big, you know. But yeah, so you know that the R three thing was great fun, and being part of a bigger organisation allowed me to do it. Mm. And I met loads of people, some yeah. really interesting ones, you know, like. David Cameron met David Cameron met a lot of people head of the insolvency. what about the interesting ones yeah what about the interesting ones <laughs> yeah yeah well the people who were involved in the insolvency uh, service were quite interesting people and people from HMRC and met William Hague he was really William Hague's really good he's great a great speaker is William Hague very funny I, I saw him speak at an event that I went to in London oh no oh no it wasn't no it wasn't in London it was um and I don't think it was William Hagen. And now I'm going to be really <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your input, it was, <laughs> it was the Howard Bernstein's retirement dinner. And there was a politician yeah. speaking there. It wasn't William Hagen. Let's carry on. Oh, right. But <laughs> um, one of the best people I met was uh, Gerald Ratner. Is he the jewellery man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband went to hear him. He spoke at a conference my husband went to and he said he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had to go to... When, when I was sort of um, R3 president, I was like man from the ministry and I had to go to speak at a dinner in, um, in Belfast. And, you know, I had to do the serious bit. And then Gerald Ratnat did the funny side. And he was great. He was brilliant. He was a great speaker. And... It was really entertaining and on one day with Joe and I, well one evening Joe and I were in London and um, we went to eat at the Tate Modern Restaurant, yeah Tate Modern Restaurant on the top mm -hmm. floor, it's really quite nice actually and we went up there, who should get in the lift but Boris Johnson Oh. and I didn't realise how small he was at the time, <laughs> he's quite short he's Boris Johnson, is he? Yeah. Well, but you I, I hope you don't that. mind me saying, but you're not the tallest man no, on earth, no, are you? No, I'm, I'm, How I'm, tall I'm, I'm, are you? About 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, right. I'll go for 5'11", it sounds Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my kids are taller than me. Right. You know, my girls. Um, but, yeah, so we went, what's Boris Johnson down there? You know? <laughs> Did you pat him on his head? I felt like it, yeah. If I'd known then what I know now, well, I don't, I don't know now, I would have reacted. You know? Yeah, so... Um, so you got involved with Charlesworth as yeah, well, which is a yeah. local um, business. Yeah, it's a family business. Yeah, I mean, lots of people from Huddersfield know the name. Yeah. There. And 
Where did the volunteering come in? Well, for the food bank. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, just go back to Charlesworth first. Oh, OK. Char if you don't mind. No, Char no, no. Charles, I'd, I'd been to speak. I've got, I, after doing the R3 thing, I got involved with INSOL, it's the International Trade Association for Insolvency Practitioners. And I've been to speak at a conference in Seoul for the South Korean government. And one of the other speakers there was a guy called Daniel Eisenberg, who set up the, I think it's the um, Scale Up Institute or something like that. And, I'd, and then I'd, I'd always done some work for the Charlesworth family. I'd never been their accountants or anything like that. But if they had a problem, they'd come knocking at the door. Not that they'd have problems, but if they had problems with clients and customers and stuff like that, come knocking at the door. And I met Richard Charlesworth and we got chatting and he, and he said, oh, what you been doing? And I said, telling him about this trip to South Korea. He said, that's exactly what we need to do for us. Go and look for scale-up businesses so we can invest in them. So we talked about it. I said, well, it's not a full-time job, so I'll do it part-time, you know. So that's what we agreed on. And uh, it was been, it's been good fun because I've gone out kicking tyres and meeting people who wanting funding to support Was I a tyre? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> a nice looking tyre. <laughs> but some, like, some people come to us too early. Yeah. Um, some people, like Richard had introduced me to some people and I go, don't go near them for God's sake. You know, and other people, I've said, look, oh, this is a really good one, you should put some money into this. And, you know, it, and it's, you know, I describe it as a bit like League of Gentlemen. It's local people with local money for local business. And, you know, it, it will work and it'll take time. And, you know, we all need to develop our relationships with the businesses which we're investing in. Like, for one example, we've invested in Lord's Brewery up at Bolston Moss. That's worth a trip if you're going up that way, if you can find it. It's a bit <laughs> niche. And we've got an investment in Allegro Opticians as well. Uh, and we've got one or two other investments um, which sort of slightly further afield and a bit low-key and and there's other things we're looking to invest in as well and it's, and it's great fun you know i love it we really get that i mean yeah. both jane and i talk about this we're into staying local mm, when i yeah. set up my business i said you know when i look at suppliers mm. i really want to try and keep mm. it as local as mm. possible mm. And it's, you know, that's how the community yeah. works. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. same and that, like, you know, I just talked about me setting up this co-working yeah, space idea. and it is in um, Denbydale. Yeah. And, you know, someone said to me, I'll recommend you a solicitor. And I said, well, actually, no, because there is a solicitor in Denbydale. Yeah. Yeah, so I want I want to speak to yeah. them first. If yeah. they can't do it, then, yeah, I'll look outside. Mm. But as much as possible, I want, I want it to be about supporting local businesses mm. getting them to collaborate with each other and help each other more because um, there's loads of businesses in the area yeah. that don't even know each other, each other exist mm -hmm. you know, it's about spending your money locally mm -hmm. to help prop up everywhere it's not just retail which needs that support it's all the service industries which need that support as well yeah because you know if you don't help each other it all drifts out further afield you know people say oh i don't want you know i'll go to leeds from a solicitor well why don't you use one in Huddersfield or denby daily yeah you know why why go all that way when you don't really need to unless it's very specialist yeah yeah. Oh, Jane and I went to Manchester last week for a meeting and that were a trek, wasn't it? Well, it was snowing. It started snowing, so we decided not to drive but get the train. the train. So then we were hammering it into town to get a parking space to get on the train. The train was delayed. We got on the train. 
Oh, we ended oh, up getting the funniest. Sorry, we ended up getting me. a taxi from the train station in Manchester to the event. We were a little bit late, but anyway, we got there on time. And Jane's going to tell, tell, tell you story. this because you said I'd forgot, and stupid you was just reminding me because I had <laughs> forgot. So we come out of um, Piccadilly Station in Manchester, and it's. Was it raining in Manchester, but it had been snowing in Huddersfield? It was sleety, it, sorry. Yeah, it went uh, Just to nice. paint a picture, it was quite dark, even though it was the morning. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so we were late yeah. for this event, even though we knew there'd be about 40 minutes networking before it started, <laughs> so it'd be fine. Um, so we come out of the station, and Michelle goes, Oh my God, is that the queue for the, <laughs> for the taxi? <laughs> right, there's a statue outside. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> The taxi queue. That bronze statue. Yeah, of the, are they the, UGs or what are they? Are, are they soldiers? Soldiers, are they? Oh, like queued up. Yeah, oh, yeah, they are, aren't they? So uh, she's like <laughs> bent, bent double on the concourse, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm never going to live again. When something happens, and all day, you just keep laughing. So on the way back, she goes, I made a stand behind her. Go stand behind, I think I'll take a picture. I said, I'm not doing it. She went, go on, stand behind it, I'll take a picture. Uh, uh, I saw it the other day when I was going through and it's a beautiful yeah. statue yeah. still there it's that, uh, but it's not that slow <laughs> still there now week and a half later so anyway moving on let's get on to the oh, welcome welcome sense yes. yeah. yeah well like with working part time for both Guantuma and Charlesworth I still had a bit of spare time and I thought you know it's about giving back you know I've got to say you know I've had a decent education and I've, as far as I'm concerned, I've done okay. I've got a bit of time. I've got some, I think I've got some skills. Um, it's about putting something back into the community. So, you know, I, well, I put some money into actually just giving back. I put some money into Handmade Bakery when they kicked off some years, when they started some years ago. And I've got that back out because they paid everybody out. I've also invested in the um, Green Valley Grocers in Slowit as well. So I'm a shareholder there. So I sell all my stuff at Grow at Home, which is another story to them. But the Welcome Centre, um, I was thinking, well, I'd like to get involved with the charity. Which one should I get involved with? And we went to see, I know this sounds really corny, but we went to see I, Daniel Blake, the, the film about the guy who had problems with benefits and all this sort of thing. And there's one bit where his, sort of, girlfriend's the wrong word, but a, a a girl he sort of befriends um, she goes into a food bank and she basically you know she'd been starving she, she had problems with benefits she'd been starving and she went into a food bank and she was getting things off the shelves which you don't do in our food bank and she then just ripped the lid off a tin of baked beans and started eating them like that and I thought you could see that it really did have an impact in, to mm. people in the, mm. in the cinema and I thought I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get involved with our local food bank. Mm. So um, I got in touch with them and um, said, so, you know, what can I do? You know, so you get interviewed because they don't take everybody. Um, so I ended up starting as a volunteer. And, you know, initially you sort of get all the little tasks to do and then start making packs up for people. And now I actually work on the phones dealing with requests for food packs. We don't speak to the actual client we're not allowed to um, we we speak to their advisor um, 
and this is where the mission comes in because a lot of the referrals do come from the mission right, okay. next door that's where the com a lot of confusion comes out so the the person in need will go to an advisor get some support there's lots of organizations locally which can which are registered with us and for example they go to the mission tell them the problem if it, if a food pack is going to help them they will then ring us relate the story to us they might be um they might have been to us before they might be new so we've got to get a lot of background information and in the end we decide whether or not they can have a food pack now a food pack's supposed to last a week it's not a sort of thing you would want people to be on on a regular basis so you know if they've got a problem and want to see some sort of solution if we can um and so you know we we'd say yes in most cases let's put it that way it's not often i've actually gone no and if i've gone no i've gone i've made sure i've got um the agreement of one of the full-time employees at the food bank which of which there's four i think right um it's certainly up at, up on that <coughs> street uh and so yeah so it, it's quite humbling because you realize that there is a lot of problems out there and a lot of them are caught a lot of it's caused by it's caused by benefits caused by debt um it's called drug and alcohol abuse homelessness um the worst one quite frankly is domestic violence um these are those are quite well they are they're all distressing but that is particularly distressing uh, the domestic violence and, um and sometimes the women escape the building or wherever they are just in what they're wearing with the kids under their arms mm -hmm. um, into the protection of the police so then they'll you know they'll get onto the council and try and find them somewhere to live if, if it's own temporary um, so they get a lot of help so we can support people like that and then there's problems with like people who are refugees asylum seekers um, people who are actually homeless and and we have a really good relationship with Cagney, who's our the local woman who looks after Simon on the streets, you know. Um, and she, and she's, she does a lot of good work. She tells me what's going on. And, you know, it, it, I've got to say, it really is humbling in dealing with it. Um, and I think it was like insolvency. You didn't realise how much there was of it until you got involved yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. And you don't realise how much problems there are you know when I started at Welcome Centre we probably averaged when I was there with about 20 referrals a day now we, we easily do 40 you know you don't react when you've got to 40 if you get to 50 you might go oh we've done 50 today yeah it's and quite a, a big step then a refer you know a referral could be anything from a one person food pack which is to last a week to a pack for a family of four six seven people you know so, so what what would if places like the welcome center didn't exist what would those people actually do starve to be blunt about it and if they've got no money um where would they go i, I don't know there'd be there'd be a lot more begging on the streets yeah you know um i've got to say i never give to beggars on the streets i had one approach me in sainsbury's today and i just went no um because a lot of it you know, it does go on drugs and alcohol, mm. quite frankly. Um, if you want to help somebody, get some meal vouchers from the mission next door to us and give them a meal voucher. Yeah. I was just going to say, if somebody wants to help on a practical level, what what do they do? Say, for instance, Jen and I 
we've listened to you today we go yeah. okay let's what could we do well i think if you wanted to help the welcome center you could just add a few extra tins and dry things to your food shop in sainsbury's or wherever you go and stick it in the bins which are in most supermarkets because those are emptied on a regular basis by one of the drivers mm-hmm. um in fresh fresh things don't even think about but tinned and dried stuff are most important because quite a few of the people who are dependent on food banks have either got no electricity or gas or have a very limited amount of electricity and gas and so they need to have things which don't need to go don't need to go in the fridge and are relatively simple and easy to cook mm. and you, you know you don't think like that you know like you just you just go and put the kettle on and or put the toaster on yeah. or switch your oven on you don't think and put the lights on you don't think oh have I got enough gas or electricity to cook a, cook a yeah. meal and when yeah. you said to me dried things mm. my automatic thought is pasta yeah well it's the obvious but one that, but that's not pasta actually pasta or rice but that a food pack we do food packs for um, for different kinds of people we we do a normal food pack um, and we'll do a vegetarian food pack we do a halal food pack we do uh, what's called an, I call it non-cooking prop non-cooking property pack and which can be varied if they've got if they have a little bit of electricity and they've got a kettle then or access to hot water we can put other things in mm-hmm. um, and then we do street packs we'll do diabetic packs um, we also ask about allergies and all this sort of things and also we ask about preferences you know, if somebody doesn't like something there's no point putting it in the pack if they're going to either chuck it away or just not use it mm. we'd rather them say so it's they've not there's nothing to be embarrassed about yeah then you can give it to part. somebody else you can give it to somebody else yeah you know, if, if you want tea and not coffee that's great if you want rice and not pasta that's also good we know we don't argue about it but your average pack of will have some what we call meat meals which is a couple of tins of meat um some beans some soup some cup of soups and some cereal for breakfast there'll be a loaf of bread be all sorts of, um, there'll be some pasta, there'll be a cooking sauce, um, there'll be some uh, tin of tuna or something like that. There'll be some fruit and veg, some which will be fresh if it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there'll be some, might be some meat meals. Um, we get some chicken in, um, which is from one of the local restaurants, um, which is cut, which they've not sold overnight, so they fra- flash freeze it and we can use that. Greg's are very supportive. We get bread from uh, quite a few local bakeries um, and Mar- and uh, Sainsbury's. I think we get it from Marks and yeah, we get it from Marks and Spencer's Waterloo as mm. well. Um, and we get some from the handmade bakery every so often when they if they've got any spare because they they freeze it and then it's collected mm. more or less once a week. So you know, it, they get a really good pack of food, um, which is designed to last them a week. And besides food, we do. Uh, toiletry packs you know um there's no reason why people can't have the dignity maintained by it be able to have a shower and a wash mm-hmm. and everything so we'll do we do toiletry packs for both male and females do cleaning packs we do uh we do bedding we do do duvets um and we do towels and we'll do curtains so you get people ringing up saying oh i want some curtains and i say they go, yeah, okay, what size? Oh, I don't know. I said, well, when you've sorted out what size, can you come back to it? You think, oh, you know, it's obvious. And we, we get some, and a lot of the problems are around 
Universal Credit. Um, it's 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 you know it's difficult and people can have their Universal Credit stopped mm. at the drop of a hat. Yeah. They get what they call sanctioned. And you know, it can be sanctioned for all sorts of things. And one of the obvious ones is missing an appointment. And you have a diary and they put things in, or your supervisor puts things in your diary and you're supposed to know it's there. And if you miss it, that's it, you're sanctioned. Um, I had one lady who was sanctioned because um, she missed an appointment because she was having a baby. Oh. They sanctioned her. She had to take, she had to prove, she had to prove she'd had a baby before they'd take, let her have her money. Wow. And there was another guy who was sanctioned because he missed an appointment because he'd gone for a job interview. Oh, bless him. Which is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just insane. No wonder people feel like they're on a hamster wheel, does yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They're just, they're being hammered. You know, I can get on a real soapbox about this. Yeah. But they're getting absolutely hammered about it, uh, are ordinary people. Mm. I talk, I've done a few talks for the Welcome Centre at local institutes and organisations. And before Christmas, I ended up on um, Radio Leeds on a Sunday morning on the um, Graham and Tim show, or Tim and Graham show, because it's about gardening and about food. So we're talking a bit of gardening and then a bit of food, because the other passion, besides my yoga and the Welcome Centre, is my garden. So you chill out doing gardening and yoga? Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, it's great. You know. And you you sort of hinted earlier that you're selling your produce yeah, in a local yeah. shop. So the, the stuff we sell, we, we grow in our, in, um, our back garden. Um, we sell a lot of it to the Green Valley grocers in Slough. Um Usually there's a lot of garlic and onions to, at the beginning of the season. Then there's all sorts of bits and pieces. And we've, we've uh, Joe, my wife, uh, makes uh, black bridge, uh, no, black currant jam and black bridge jelly. Uh, and we sell that to the Green Valley grocers as well. So all the monies we then get from it, we actually, well, I'll ring up, I'll, I'll, ring, I'll email Mike at the centre and say, what are you short of? So then I'll go, with that money, I'll go down to Aldi and, and buy what they're short of. And often it's toiletries, so I'll go mm -hmm. into Aldi. And I usually go to the one at Waterloo and I'll buy a, a tray of deodorants and just pick it up and plonk it in the trunk. And I, last time I went, I got to the checkout and the girl sort of looked mystified at me. She says, oh, are these for any special reason? I said, yeah, they're for a donation for the food bank, um, the Welcome Centre. Oh, so I explained what I've just said to you. And she said, oh, that's really nice. And the person behind said, that's a really good thing to do. I thought, yeah, it is a really nice yeah, thing to is. do. Yeah, it you is. It is. Um, but Joe's, Joe's jam, um, and his gooseberry jam as well, he shared us, we kept some gooseberry jam back for ourselves, but they'd had a special request from Cream Valley Grocers for a gooseberry jam, so the whole lot went to... <laughs> have, have you got a brand name? No, 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 no. It's, well, no, it, it, when it's... Um, when it's sold to Green Valley Grocers, they stick their labels. Ah, oh, right, so, okay. Yeah, it's, okay. It's, but it's, it's good. You know, Joe, she'll go, oh, God, you've grown this again. You know, we did one year actually sign a no courgette proliferation treaty. <laughs> because I don't blame you. <laughs> Vile. I quite like, well... well yeah. I don't mind them in ribbons, but yeah. any it, other way, no. In a ratatouille. Yeah, just a few. But not... Well, own. yeah, well, they're not for every meal, are they? No, they're not. You, no. you know, you've got more courgettes, you know. So they actually go to Green Valley Grocers, but they go, oh, we've got loads of courgettes, yeah. we've got any more courgettes. So, do you do the yoga to get away from the courgette <laughs> growing? <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of putting it, really. So, good. Well, Joe, my wife, 
started doing Iyengar yoga a long time ago and she she volunteered me well her teacher was a teacher trainer so she taught future teachers and she volunteered me to go as a, a complete virgin guinea pig so to speak mm. to a teach training session where the uh, trainee teachers had to teach people like me how to do it sort of thing and I quite enjoyed it actually and I went a couple of times and um, so I signed myself up to adult education and this is probably about 12 13 years ago and you know I went along and I went on a day when Joe wasn't doing it so I used to take her stuff so I walked in with my bag so it looked a bit as if it was organized you know all the gear got the gear and, and no idea <laughs> at that stage and no idea. And you could see it was all women in the class except for me. And you could see him going, you know, it was a bit, well, can't do that on the radio. Can I was a bit suspicious. Of, they were a bit suspicious. Give me a right funny look. But once I was accepted and I got, they got used to me, it was fine. And I still, yeah. I actually still go to Amanda, that the same teacher. It used to be on a Monday. She now does a private class on a Wednesday in, in Marsden. Um, because she got fed up of the adult education because there was so many so much red tape around it mm. so she just said I'm not bloody doing this anymore so she started doing private classes and it's great fun and you know I probably am a, a longest surviving student uh, for that class and it, it's good fun then I and I go on a Monday and a Thursday to a class in Brighouse because and Joe well Joe my wife sort of moved on and she's actually an Iyengar teacher herself now so she works part time for another firm of insolvency practitioners and um, she teaches Iyengar yoga on a Monday and a Wednesday evening from a stu from our studio which we built in our back garden. Fabulous. I know. So um, so she's got a class tonight and I'll be off. So tonight it's her turn to cook tea. Oh. On a on a Tuesday it's my turn because Amanda, the teacher I have on a Wednesday, she comes to our studio to teach a class of more advanced uh, well it's a mixture of very advanced students and teachers because Amanda's uh, a more senior teacher so on a Tuesday night the deal is I cook tea on a Wednesday night it's just turned to cook a quick tea when she's finished the class because she finishes at eight o'clock and I don't finish till half past eight so she's got till quarter to nine to get it ready so. oh, got a system <laughs> yeah. we have a si you know like we've been precision. married nearly 39 years so yeah you ought to have a system by if, now if really if we have a system in 39 years we're stuffed aren't we well I've been married yeah you've got a great 21 system 21 years yeah. and my system is that I don't actually cook but I can't <laughs> well, I, I, I choose not to anyway um <laughs> That's been really interesting, Peter. But we've Sorry. now got to the part of the podcast oh, where no. you have to play the game, oh, God, and it's game. it's the bit that everybody dreads. But I don't know why. I don't know why. It's the, it's the unexpected. Do you want it? to sort of pick a card? You pick it up and I'll read it out for you. Go not on. saying you can't read. <laughs> what is the one thing you couldn't live without? Courgettes. Oh, no, oh, God, I could do without courgettes. <laughs> oh, um, I couldn't live without my greenhouse. Oh. My garden. Because then you'd have to live without courgettes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just... I've got, it's like I've, a vicious circle. Yeah. I'm sent outside, you know, you know, 
just get out of the house, you know, go out. So I go down the garden and if it's raining, I can go and hide in the greenhouse. And like this time of year, it's getting better. Yeah. And it's really nice just to be out and about, really. Yeah. And my wife says, she said, Joe says to me, what were you doing? You were just stood there looking. <laughs> I says, yeah, I know. I've started, I've realised I've started doing that. I'll just stand looking down our garden and down the valley because it's a lovely view. It is a beautiful... Whereabouts are you? We live at Healy House between Netherton and Meltham. Right. It's like in the Bermuda Triangle between Honley, Netherton and Meltham. Yep. People come into it and they never leave. <laughs> just vanish. Don't go there, Jane. <laughs> it's not. It's lovely. It's, lo it's beautiful. You know, and we've had, when we've had uh, deliveries... We've had delivery men pull up and go, oh, it's lovely down here. Can I take a picture? So they actually take a picture Aww. of the valley, you know, which is great. And it is really nice, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to leave where no. we are now so the greenhouse yeah in summer do you like get a chair and get a bottle of wine and stuff and not in the green well no. we've got we, well in, in addition to the greenhouse we've got the shed but we which we had built onto it the shed stension which, <laughs> which is a, like a little being going to be all over that word now shed stension it's like a little <laughs> extra bit it's trademarked it's yeah. great you know it's got a little t have you got, got a deck in no, we haven't got it. It's got a little table and a chair inside it. And my, when my grandson comes on a Tuesday, we have to go down to the shed extension. And he climbs up onto the it's an old uh, church pew, and he goes looking over the wall because oh, it's raised up. You can see over the wall. So he's looking at the sheep and the molehills, and and I'm thinking, oh, those blooming molehills aren't going to come into my garden. Yeah. But, you know, and then he's going looking at the sheep, and he really enjoys it. You know, oh. it's great fun. And then we have to go in the greenhouse, and he has to inspect all the plants. Does he know the? F the word shed stanchion not yet not yet right not yet he's getting there he knows you know when we in last summer he did know the difference between an aubergine and a tomato um and you know all this and peppers and things like that oh that's good there's only two so yeah brilliant know, kids doing good yeah you? pick another <laughs> oh i'm gonna pick one down here come on read that one out right what is your favorite piece of art <sighs> You're allowed to say. <laughs> well, it's got, got to one. be something in our garden because uh, we've got a few sculptures by. <laughs> it sounds Richard. like your shed stanchion is no, a piece of art. No, no, no. <laughs> we've got a few stuff by a local sculptor. In, uh, Which sculptor? Mick Kirby Geddes. Right. And we've got a few pieces in our garden uh, by Mick, um, and we've got we've got our, the original one was a bird table which we had made. Um, when we lived in our old house on Howard Way, so I've got to say that's probably my favourite one because it's the oldest one, mm. and it's really. And then we've got another bigger bird bath sort of thing at the bottom of the garden, and we've one or two other bits and pieces by him. And I, I like I like how he uses scrap bits to turn into art. You know, it's great, and I love I love that sort of that sort of art. We was I was in the Tate in London a while ago, and. There was an exhibition of um so want to do something similar but on a massive scale like they filled some of the rooms up in the tape with what other people would call as junk um and you know which looks which to me were great pieces of art and and they were made up of um they had some bits which were cl quite clear from textile machinery parts of textile machines and parts of like um uh, floorboards and wood which were all from a textile mill because you could smell the mill mm -hmm. you know you can smell 
a male. They've got that really sort of oily lanolin type mm. smell, which is a lovely smell, I think. You know, don't you know I no, I went on a school trip to a mill when I was at junior school. There was a mill in Kirky, and do you remember that mill? Jarmaine's. Yeah, yeah and uh, we did a trip there, and I can probably still smell it now. It's not something that not I like, really like. Well, no. it's, it, it was a bit. Of, I forgot what kind of mill that was, but it was a uh, a woolen mill. Yeah, yeah. The nicest smell. If you go to Salt's Mill, if you go in the in the uh, bookshop bit of Salt's Mill. Is that Hebden Bridge? No, no uh, it's so Salt Air. Air. Salt oh, Air. Right, it's right. really nice. If you go in there, there's a huge floor, which is all a big bookshop, and they've always got lots of lilies there. So you've got this lily smell mixed with books, with, with books okay. and the oh, oil smell. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, I know it sounds a bit weird, but it's a really nice, to me, mm. it's a really nice smell. I, re I remember when I was little, I, I was sent to Sunday school up in Kirk Eaton. And at the Methodist got, church? No, there's no proper church, Church of England church. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and we used to go past Jarmaine's Mill when we walked from Dalton. I remember once seeing a steam engine go across that where there was a railway. I'm that old, aren't I? <laughs> I can remember a steam engine going across. Uh, and I think my claim to fame on that would be our, me and about three other lads, we were thrown out of um, Sunday school for bad behaviour. One morning, so we got home early, and I had to explain to my mum why I'd come home early. You know, was I in trouble? Oh dear! Pick another one. One last one. One last one. Oh, last one. Let's go deep into the pack. What is your favourite day of the week? Oh God, that's horrible. Uh, I, like I don't think any other day will be offended. No, 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 all days are equal. I just, you know, I, I enjoy what I do, quite frankly. So it, you know, and, and okay, there are weekends and stuff like that, and and it, it might sound a bit um, silly, but I like Tuesdays are probably pretty good because that's when Rory comes. And we have usually have a bit of a Rory day. And we have a, That's your grandson again. Yeah, the grandson, the number one grandson, number two grandson Isaac's a bit too young to come yet. He's yeah. only he's only a couple of months old, so uh, he's still at home with Faye, you know. Yeah. So cause Faye's on maternity, but yeah, it's great fun is Rory, and we do what we go. We went to bounce and jump yesterday in Honley. And he's great. He loves it. Oh, that's a nice answer for your favourite day. Yeah, I don't think I've got a favourite. I enjoy my life yeah. and I enjoy my days. I don't. Yeah. I never wake up on a Monday and think, oh, it's Monday. Monday. No, I, but don't I used anymore. to. When I, I worked to. Yeah. corporate. I don't anymore. Yeah. Exactly. I just. I think do enjoy. We get Sundays. to enjoy every day, don't we? Yeah, I do enjoy Sundays, but it mainly is because it's the day that you know we might have a Sunday dinner we might have family or yeah. friends round and you know it's quite chilled yeah um and probably have more conversations on a Sunday than the entire yeah. rest of the week put yeah. together so mm. I do I do like Sundays for that yeah good oh. right that's um fabulous Pete. thank you thank you so that. much you've been very in. entertaining thank you. yeah. you've got a great story and just one final thing if anybody was interested in um and any of the myriad of things that we've talked about <laughs> today so, on social media yeah, yeah on uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. LinkedIn you're on Twitter way. as well yeah. you're sergeant, you sergeant with an A S-A-R-G-E-N-T yeah we'll okay. put it in the show notes we'll put it in the show spell notes spell it right everybody spells it wrong well, I got it right then, yeah you did yeah, yeah go but me. yeah I'm on Twitter as well you know. great right. right. thank you fabulous pleasure
This podcast has been brought to you from the studios of Absolute Media UK Limited at Lockwood Park, Huddersfield. Apart from the recording facilities, we are totally independent radio advertising experts. We plan, buy, create, produce and deliver the whole radio campaign. Thanks for listening.